Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury. Welcome back to the Making Headway Podcast. This is Aaron again. And today I am with Brooke Trotter. Um, he is near and dear to my heart because he's in Manchester, England, which is very close to some of my very closest family members. Um, go Man U, although I don't know if everyone would agree with that statement. I don't want to marginalize anyone. Um, Brooke Trotter is a TBI survivor. Um, I won't try to tell his story, but he's done a lot of work since um, for a Safe Drive Stay Alive campaign, which um, is regional and national. Um, So if you were a 17 or 18-year-old college student in England, you may have seen his face as he tried to scare you into safe driving. Um, He also does um, makes a lot of content for CFG Law, um, for it's a serious accident solicitor group. And he's part of a podcast, another podcast, and we love to push ones. Um, It's called Brain Injury Bites. And the nice thing about his podcast is the episodes are short. So if you find listening to one of these is kind of torturous because it's too long, um, I don't want to push you away from us, but Brooke might be a good one to also listen to. So welcome. Thank you for that introduction. Cheers. Yeah, you're welcome. So um, let's just jump right in, Brooke. Um, How did you get to join our community? It was in 2007. I was a university college student in Manchester, and I was... um, We've been to, we've been to watch a band on a night out with um, just like a local band. I was walking home, and um, I mean, it's the most significant thing to have happened to me in my life. But I've got absolutely no memory of it. I was um, uh, how bizarre. <clears throat> I was um, walking home. I was catch, going to catch the bus down Oxford Road, if you know, in Manchester. Um, and I walked across um, a street called Portland Street, where a McDonald's is. And um, a car was coming down Portland Street at about 50 miles an hour. I mean, this is from witness, witness, um, what I've been told from witnesses. And he, I think I was, I think I was running over the road when the light was on red. And he was, no, sorry, the light was on green. And he was, he was speeding, he was speeding up to 50 miles an hour in a 30 zone. And um, he'd seen me slam his brakes on, lost control of the car. He'd skidded onto the pavement. I'd made the pavement, sorry, that's the sidewalk, um, on the other side mm-hmm. of the road. And um, he'd skidded onto the sidewalk, hit me. Um, my head went through the windscreen of the car. I was carried about 20 metres on the car, uh, 25 yards mm-hmm. on the front of the car. Um, and I was basically left. He left me for dead um, he, oh. he, um, he ran away tried to get away he was he was caught later but that's beside the point well kind of thank god you don't remember all yeah, that that's pretty traumatic Wouldn't be a pretty memory with it no <laughs> i think you'd have ptsd just definitely, from the memory definitely. so um what happened who found you how'd you get off the I have absolutely evening? no idea <clears throat> um but whoever found me found me um which um, maybe somebody saw it because if it was a guy laying on the floor in the middle of Manchester, it could have just mm. been a, a drunk student, couldn't he? So uh, I think somebody yeah. must have seen him, uh, called the ambulance, 
Um, obviously, you'll know about this, the golden hour. If you have a head injury, you've got, you basically have to get treated quickly as possible. And um, I was taken to, um, I was taken to a hospital nearby, and stabilised. I've actually met the the two paramedics that rescued me, picked me up that night, and um, I was given a three on the Glasgow Coma Scale. So anybody who don't knows doesn't know who that is, what that is. Um, people with a head injury, if you you're given a score of, it's I think it's like eye movement, motor response, and response to voice. Um, so you can yeah. the lowest you can get is one for each of those, and um, and it so it goes from three, the scale that goes from three to fifteen. So the lowest you can get is three, and I was I was a three, so um, that all pointed to um, that I wasn't going to come out of this very well at all. But luckily, I have. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a vegetative state. Definitely, um, yeah. From what I remember in nursing school. You don't want to be low. You want to be high on that scale. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Luckily, though, I was. Um, How long were you like that? I was in a coma for sixteen days. It. I. I, I opened wow. my eyes on the sixteenth day. Um, I say. Say, open my eyes. It was like, a, my sli- my eyes were slightly open. Um, it was like a big thing for our family. Because they were like. They weren't allowed in. They were only allowed into at a time, but um, they were around the, the bed near the, near the intensive care unit. And um, it, my sister actually documented it all on, in a diary um, ah. when it happened. So that was pretty cool. And they had my um, my dad had come in one day, and I they said I've got blue eyes. So I said I've seen. I can see his beautiful blue eyes. It's obviously emotional. And um, oh. <laughs> And then you do have beautiful blue eyes. I'll give you that. <laughs> then it's like I um, it was. I suppose it's depicted in movies and in films um, that people just kind of walk out, snap out of a coma, they wake up and they just look around like, "Where am I?" But it doesn't really happen like yeah. that. It's obviously like you've been. No, it doesn't. It's kind of you. Someone's press reset on your brain, and I mean, I think it was for two weeks. I I didn't even speak. And they just thought I was going to be mute. They thought I would that would be how I'd be for the rest of my life. But um, I suppose they just you just cling on to anything. They would be they were they were happy that I was um, alive. Um, my first word. Do you remember that period? I can't remember. I've got a lot of witnesses to this though. Yeah. In the hospital, there was okay. somebody um, going like a healthcare assistant going around offering you know teas, uh, hot hot drinks basically for refreshments to my family. And um, they asked if anybody wanted a hot drink. And I'd previously, I'd had hot chocolate. Um, so my sister went to order me a hot chocolate and I piped up and I said, I'll have, a, I'll have half Stella, please, love, which is, which is, <laughs> which is half a pint of biscuit, it's more lager. And, um, <laughs> which is, so let me, <clears throat> just a quick story about Stella. My first time I ever went to England was when I was in college. I think it was... Was it 2007? No, I think it was 2006. Right. And I only had $300 to pay for my plane ticket and to be there. So I was like on pennies. So I went to the pub for the first night and I asked the bartender, I'm like, what's the thing that's most like Bud Light? Because I knew that would be super cheap. And he gave me Stella. And for just a comparison, I think Stella's maybe what, five or 6% alcohol? Yeah. Where Bud Light's like three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. And you guys... 
Right. And you guys have pint glasses and it's a real true pint. We're in the U.S. We don't have that. So I got wasted on <laughs> Stella and had the worst hangover of my whole life. Um, we ended up singing the whole way home. I think we woke up everybody in the neighborhood. But um, it was a lot of fun. But I do not have good memories of so, Stella. But, but from 2006, <laughs> it's changed now to um, it used to be I think it was used to be 5.2 percent. And it's uh, it's a Belgian lager. And um, it's now four percent. I think it had it had a bit of a, a bad reputation for getting people in that state that you were talking about. So it's kind of re yeah, reinvented itself. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had my best singing performance ever, though, throughout the streets of Chester. There England. you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually been to right. Chester. I've, I've been to I've been to Chester Hospital. I've spoke at Chester Hospital. And there's um there's quite a famous place called Chester Zoo, and I've been to that. Uh -huh. And um, but I've never actually been at Chester. I believe it's a very nice historic city, isn't it? It is. It's beautiful. It's an old Roman city, yeah. so it still has the walls. Yeah. So um, like inside the walls is that very traditional English like Tudor style buildings and really nice shops and restaurants and it's gorgeous. And you can like there's one place um called Spud you like. Is, is that a chain? Would you like, yeah, it's a chain. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, you can go there and ask to see the Roman baths, and if they have to let you. Okay. So you go down in their basement, yeah. and then you're in, like, this basement with old bath, like, in an old bathhouse. It's really cool. Wow. I'll, um... Um, and they have a cool race course, too, if you ever want to go see the Chester races. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've not done anything like that, but, yeah, something to you do. you got to get down there. If you or someone you know is struggling to recover after brain injury like a stroke, take a free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to see if their robots can help boost your recovery. If you are struggling with stroke recovery, take the free online assessment at modusnova.com forward slash making headway to learn if Modus can help you recover. And a quick shout out to our sponsor, Headache Nutritionist. Be sure to check her out at www.headachenutritionist.com. Generous sponsors like Susanna and donations are what keep us on air. Thank you. All right. Well, now that you're feeling better, you can. So um, just to, I know we took kind of a bunny trail, um, but just to get back, what were some of your injuries that you endured? <clears throat> so... My head went through a windscreen at like 50 miles an hour. So I'd cracked my skull. Jeez. I think the impact had cracked a bone in my neck. Um, it broke my, well, the glass had broke my nose, my jaw, uh, my left cheekbone. My teeth had banged, banged together so hard. It had, um, it broke my, a lot of my teeth. Um, I've got like veneers now. And, um, I snapped the it was like an like the roof of my mouth that was uh, that was like snapped in half apparently, oh, and um, wow. uh, obviously I had cuts I had cuts from the glass like all over my head all over my back, all back of my neck down there. Um, luckily, whether it's luckily, it was all, all they were all head injuries. I didn't break any like limbs or arms or anything like that. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I'd use that word, but <laughs> did it injure your brain too? Yeah, or was sorry, it I had just... like um, a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Yeah, a brain injury. Me too. And um, yeah, I had 
I've got uh, it's not very good radio, is it? But I've got Scar there. Um, yeah. I had obviously when I when I got taken into the hospital, I had like increasing intracranial pressure, which is your brain swelling inside inside your skull. But obviously, there's nowhere to go because it's it's inside your head, and um, so the yeah. pressure builds up. So I had like I've had like it's called a shunt, like a basically like basically drill a hole in there and have a pressure gauge in, and that's I've got like a little scar mm. there, so it's an excuse to shave my head. But um, <laughs> your hair covers it all yeah, well. Yeah, I can't see any yeah, of it. Yeah, I'm looking on that sense. But that's yeah. I don't really have any. It is a true mm. um, invisible disability, man, because it's um, it's you would never know. I've got a oh, tracheostomy scar on my neck, um, where where they had tubes uh-huh. to breathe with. But that's that's pretty much all I've got. Wow. And so since you didn't wake up dancing like they do in the movies. Mm. Um, how was it for you after you started having more times of being conscious? I don't know. I've no idea. It's, um, <laughs> it's just all my, I think, I think this is one thing to highlight that often the people, you know, obviously when, when the person is injured, that all, obviously all the focus is on them, isn't it? But it, none, no, no yeah. thought is given to the, the, you know, the friends, the family, the people who are there. People were totally sober through the whole thing. Uh, my mum. So I lived. I'm from a place called Scarborough in on the, it's on the east coast of uh, England, and um, it's about 120 miles away, something like that. And my mum was not. Uh, my mum was. My, my dad was working in the Middle East at the time in the oil industry, and my mum was was um, working up. But for four o'clock in the morning, by police knocking on her door, and obviously she was panicked at the time. She was scared because she was alone in the house, and uh, she'd gone downstairs. Let this guy in, and um, it said your son's been in a very serious accident. He's got a serious brain injury. Basically, we don't know if he's going to make it. And they, so they got the um, the the um, the nurse that was caring for me at the time on the phone at a place called Manchester Royal Infirmary. And um, that was the first place I went. And I, um, she said, she was having a conversation with my mum, and she said that um, there was a line that she said to us, she says, he will still be alive when I get there, why? She said, you have to get here as quickly as possible. And she said, my mum said, oh. he will still be alive when I get there, why? And she said, I can't promise you that. You've got to get there as quickly as possible, quickly as you can. Oh, my goodness. And that was, it's about, it's 120 miles, and um, she had to, well, she drove halfway, and then um, the Manchester police picked her up at the border, and um, they took her the rest of the way with the, the sirens and blue, you know, flashing blue lights. So it's it was the oh thing my was God they did that for yeah, her. and it was um, so my sister lives in Manchester as well. That was part of the reason I was moving out here, and um, she my mum moved into my sister's, and I don't think she left there for like several months anyway. Um, yeah. How did that go? Well, I, <laughs> Obama know, yeah. for a visitor. I mean, I was. Um, <laughs> I think it was just a traumatic time for the whole family. My, um, yeah. yeah. We, um, when my dad, he come back. Um, there was a thing about my dad. He said um, something that he recalled was like, obviously, when you go on, when you go on a plane, it was a um, like a five-hour plane journey to go to get home. And he uh, recalled that obviously you have to turn your, your phone off, your cell, your cell phone off when you go on a plane. And he said that he didn't know like 
when he turned it off, he wouldn't be able to turn it back on to get to England. And he you know, didn't really want to turn it off because he didn't know whether he'd still have a son when he turned it back on. So there's... Um, oh. So I think... Obviously, yeah, I was the one that went through the trauma, but they were the ones that really went through the trauma, I think. And I think anybody like parents, guardians of people who have brain injuries really do because they don't really, um, you don't really understand what, you can't really comprehend what's going on, can you? Yeah, exactly. And that almost sounds like they could have um, PTSD from all of that. Just having I think my to mom has, yeah. Live through that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they must be worried for you all the time. Like, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, like, I'm nearly 14 now. I'm still treated like a child, to be quite honest. But <laughs> I mean, I, I live in <laughs> Manchester. Yeah, so. I live in Manchester. I live in my yeah. own house. It's 120 miles away. But yeah, well, as soon as I go home, it's um, it's right back to being 10 again. Does she? Do they have to call every day to check in and make sure you're okay? Um, and... So I think I think then we're quite a close family anyway. But I think this whole thing it made mm. us like as a family much closer. And I do call dad every day anyway. Yeah, which is yeah. Some might say it's a bit soft, but it's, I don't know. I think it's a nice thing. Yeah, and I think a lot of us have learned after brain injury what is truly important yeah. and what's not. And family is one of those pillars that's truly important if they're supportive of you. Um, you know, some people aren't blessed with a family that is good to have around after brain injury. Other people are. Yeah, I think you've seen that in the, particularly in the hospital as well. Um, mm -hmm. I remember there was one guy who um, he he'd come from a, like a homeless hostel. Um, I don't know what you call them there, but um, he I think we call them shelters. So yeah, come from a homeless shelter, and he he'd had nobody. Um, nobody to come to visit him or anything like that and he um yeah i don't think i don't think any, i think what you need after a brain injury is you need like stimulation that you need like you know your friends mm. your family around you you need reminding of old times and i don't think uh yeah i don't think he was doing very well at all and it makes it does make you yeah, fortunate. i mean there's only so much yeah very much so um and there's only so much rehab can stimulate you kind of yeah. need eventually you need that real life scenarios to really practice what you've learned yeah you go into i mean you know re rehab is not it's not real life is it but if you if you've got your friends and your family around you that's that's something that and also you know you don't you don't get that constant rehab you get rehab it's occasionally isn't it but um, if you've got like a good friends with your family that's like constant stimulation so right how long were you living at a hospital um it was 15th of October, no, sorry, the 15th of May that the accident happened. I got from one Manchester Royal Infirmary Hospital, the hospital in the central centre of Manchester, and then I got moved quickly. To, a bed came available at um, a place called, it was called Hope Hospital, and it's now called Southwood Royal Hospital. And there's, um, that's like one of the top neuro units in the country. So I was kind of looking to get a bed there. Mm. I was quickly moved there. Okay. I was there about three months. And then I moved to a place called Trafford Hospital, which is like a, it's, that was for like re rehab hospital. Um, out, and that was until the, I think it was the 17th of October or something, about check-in. Uh, it was just short of six months altogether. So wow. Quite a and then did you go straight to work living on your own or did no. you have a time of living with your family again? Yeah. <clears throat> How did that go? So I, um, I moved back, um, back to 
been you know, I'd, I'd been I'd been around the world. I'd come back to um, I'd come back to Scarborough, where I was from. I'd moved to Manchester um, to start university, and then I went all the way back to um, parents' house in Scarborough, which um, which was like a massive step backward. But um, so I lasted six months there. Then my sister, who lives in Manchester, said, "Why don't you come and live with me for a little bit?" So I lived with her for six months, and then. I lived with, um, then I moved in with um, a bunch of my friends that I thought, I thought I was ready to, to move back in with my friends. And I um, I suppose then then it highlighted that all the, all the things that my, my family were doing for me in the background without me realizing, um, but then you and you totally on your own. Um, and obviously they were, it was, Three, three or four guys, and they were just living life, and um, so they were coming in. At, <laughs> you know what? Who knows what time in the morning, and um, and I, um, it was just I wasn't sleeping very well, um, and I, I went to, um, I got quite depressed, and I moved. So the idea was to move back home, but I got my own apartment at home. So uh, I moved back to Scarborough, I got my own apartment there, and then I ended up staying there, okay. um, I think it was six years all in all, and then I moved back to yeah. Manchester. I probably wasn't ready to move back to Manchester, but it's like, when are you going to do it? You have to do it, don't you? Yeah, like, when what? no time's great, no, but yeah. sometimes got to happen. I'm glad I did it, yeah. So, yeah, and now, so now you're completely independent, living completely independently? Oh, yeah. For the most part? Yeah. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> you still have supports in the background um, to help you out. No, I don't actually. Not really. Um, That's good. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, yeah. But, what are some of your long-term complications? So Do I've you got, still struggle with anything? I've gotten fatigue. Fatigue has been the main one for me. And that was yeah, me too. a big, um, like, I guess, source of my depression. Um, I just thought... It was never going to get better. I thought it was going to just be with the rest mm. of my life. And um, I mean, I used to go to have to go to bed like two or three times a day just to get just to manage to get through a day. Um, now it's absolutely it's it's weird because you can like I've done I've run half marathons. I've run two marathons. I run and I ran an ultra marathon, which is like thirty miles <laughs> in um That's in, in June. Yeah. And on those days because you, you're so full of adrenaline, you don't um you don't need to go for sleep in the middle of the day. But my God, the next the next week I was absolutely exhausted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can imagine. I have not <clears throat> tried so I was a runner um okay. before my injury. Yeah. And I've not gotten back into long distances. I haven't gotten back into any distance right now. But I had had myself up to like three miles again. And just that little bit, it like down for the count. And I'm like, what is going on? I've ran three miles. It's not like I ran a marathon, but I would be out like really good sleep, but like sleep for two yeah. days. Yeah, <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't sleep yeah, well. I'm still working on that. Um, yeah. And I think that's an important thing that maybe we can touch on a little bit because it gets dark, I think, for a lot of us. And I don't know that we all look at the connection that sleep has to the depression. No. Um, because sleep's like a double-edged sword. Like you can have too much sleep, which will make you depressed, or too little sleep, 
doesn't allow your brain to have time to rest and recuperate. Yeah. So you get depressed. A happy medium. Don't you? I'm jealous. People, people who get eight hours sleep, I'm very jealous of them. A good night for me at my best is probably six and a half. Um, oh, then you're going to hate me because I get like 10 right okay. now. Thank God. It's medi- It's medicine induced sleep, but hey, I don't okay. care. Well, yeah. <laughs> if I can sleep, I can sleep. Uh, it, it's such a hard time. Like I had um, an incident where I had three days without being able to sleep at all. Really? And then prior to that, uh, yes, at all. Wow. It was awful, 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 awful. Um, and I don't know, like it almost made me like manic and I don't know if it was like, they think maybe the medications I was on were interacting and making me be too up, but it is not being able to sleep is the most awful feeling. And then being manic on top of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced mania, but you know, you're out of sorts and you know, you're way too high up, but you can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's awful. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm very careful with caffeine for those reasons as well. Uh, been through that. Mm. No caffeine. I'm sure others are probably. Are you pretty sensitive to it? Um, I don't know. So I'd say caffeine doesn't affect me, but I think it's like, you know, when people have a cup of coffee and then they go mad and they're just like they're full of energy. Yeah. I don't ever get that. I just think I wonder if it's because I drink just drink too much of it. But it's always <laughs> in my system. I don't know. So you. You do do caffeine, or do you not? No, I do. Yeah, but I'm sensible with it. Um, yeah. I have it on the morning, but I don't. I don't. I've got a rule with myself. I don't have it after twelve o'clock, after lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart, and that's probably um, at least in my medical training world, that's what we try to do with our patients, yeah. especially our older patients who like to just drink coffee all day long. And then they're up all night long yeah. because why? They've been drinking coffee, coffee all day, all day. long, yeah, yeah. Or tea. It's one of those things. That... Tea too is just as bad. <laughs> and if you if you're like if you're awake in the middle of the night, it gets like two or three a.m. and you just you're trying to remember, and then you're like, oh yeah, I had a coffee at five o'clock, but that's why. Mm. Do you find that you do decaf better if you need something in the afternoon? Um, I've had decaf, but. I don't know. It's not. It's like alcohol-free lager, isn't it? So caffeine and alcohol yeah. must have a nice taste to them because both caffeine, both alcohol-free lager and caffeine-free coffee taste rubbish. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I'm like, if I'm gonna have D, de- I'm not gonna have decaf. I'll if I need a hot drink in the afternoon, I'll have herbal tea, which has no yeah. caffeine. But what's the point of decaf? I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it just doesn't taste now, as good, does it? And it doesn't give you what you're looking no. for. So what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I know alcohol was um, related to your accident. And I, for me, alcohol wasn't related to my accident, but I'm much, much, much more sensitive to it now than I was before. Yeah. Um, you know, like one drink is a fun time, two drinks, I'm under the table at this point. Right. So I'm like the ultimate lightweight. <laughs> Cheap date, but ultimate lightweight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, um, how are things with you? What's your relationship with alcohol like? <clears throat> um, um, on and off. It's like before, before 2007, um, I, that was one of my, Main, I was a student, so that was one of the main pastimes was drinking. And it was luckily just the month the month prior to my accident, I'd stopped drinking. I'd just been mad on the gym, which was totally out of character, and it was a bit it was a bit weird. And I um, so it was literally one bad night. Yeah, 
Well, I think what I did, I had, I had like a, a month off alcohol and then um, I'd gone out with some friends and I started drinking just like I used to drink. And um, mm. obviously it hit me, hit me like a train. So um, mm. um, now I've, I've kind of always wanted to get back to something that I've found as weird in my life because you're always trying to get back to the play, the person you were before the accident. I and the person I was before the accident mm. was a student that used to drink a lot. So I was, uh, I was um, <laughs> I've always been, in a way younger version yeah, of exactly. yourself. Yeah, I've always been aiming to be this <laughs> 24-year-old student who. Um, you know, was in the pub a lot. So um, yeah. that sort of thing I've kind of aspired to. And then um, I've, I come out, I'm all right now. I can, um, but yeah, the, yeah, the hangovers are worse. I'm actually writing something for my, for my job, from writing a blog. I'll send you it when I've done it. And um, it's about alcohol. And I just think, I think it's like a lot of people will have the problem with alcohol who've got brain injuries but don't necessarily want to admit it and they keep it under the mm. under the radar yeah mm-hmm. um but I've, I've i mean i know of people that drink maybe like two or three bottles of wine and um and i think that because i'm not anywhere near that that i don't have a drinking problem but like um i have um I've been known. I go through periods of like not drinking for a while, and like I'm not drinking at the moment. And um, then I, you know, but, but I mean, for mine, for my my I say problem is like two, three, maybe four bottles of beer on a night. And um, but because that's not anywhere near the um, anywhere near the two or three bottles of wine, then I don't think um, I don't think I've got a problem. But it's it's that but those people don't have a brain injury neither, and it's a lot. Um, it is quite bad. Are you finding it hard to recover at home after a stroke? Modus Nova makes robotic devices to help folks with a brain injury regain the use of their affected limbs. Recovery after stroke takes thousands of hours of work that isn't all covered in outpatient therapy. Whether you're 10 days or 10 years post-stroke, recovery is still possible. You just need many hours of rehab to make that happen. The Modus hand or foot are AI-powered robotic exoskeletons that help users do exercises through the playing of video games, similar to the way an occupational or physical therapist might work with your limb. Recovery after stroke is hard because stroke survivors don't get enough hours of rehab to regain function. Find out if Modus Nova can help you by taking their free online assessment at modusnova.com slash making headway. Modus Nova helps survivors with little or no movement get moving again. They help you get in the repetitions you need to form new neural pathways. Through playing video games, the robotic hand and foot can assist with limb movements to provide a personalized exercise experience. If this sounds like something you want to try, visit modusnova.com slash making headway to learn more. Make sure to use special code making headway when you sign up and get a month free with the 30 day challenge. Visit modusnova.com slash making headway to get started. That's M O T U S N O V A 
patreon.com slash making headway. So I guess what I'm kind of hearing you say is you, you feel like when you're, if you've had three or four drinks that maybe that's a little too much yeah. for you, yeah. but for someone else, it might be nothing. No. Yeah. Nothing. Um, no. Yeah. Totally. And I know what I find like with alcohol in my life, it's, it's, it's kind of like, why am I drinking is the important question. Mm. Like, am I drinking because I'm having a nice meal yeah. and this red wine would be amazing with that steak? That's not a prop. Like, I don't consider that a problem for me. Yeah. But if I'm drinking because I'm trying to hide from something or I feel bad and I just want to slug down a bunch of drinks so I fall asleep, to me, for me, that's problematic yeah. when I'm using alcohol to cover up something else. It's the thing about alcohol is it's read, it's so readily available, isn't it? You can just go to the shop and you can buy it. It's not like um, it's not like it's difficult to get hold of. So it's it's, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a problem. I think depending on yeah, how you use for, it for some. Yeah, I think it's it's how and how you use it. I know I know others in my life have had those same types of moments where they're like, wait, why am I drinking? Oh, I'm drinking because I had a bad week and I've drank every night this week yeah. until I black out. That's a problem. That's definitely <laughs> a problem, yeah. So your blackout is definitely a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's on... interesting because I know... Go ahead. I was going to say drinking socially is... Well, Friday you don't do it too much, that's, you know, okay. But drinking on your own, I think, is a problem as well. It can be. It could be, yeah. I mean, there's some nights where, um, you know, I'm, I'm married and I have a dog, but so there's not a lot of people in my household. So if I have a glass of wine with dinner and Troy chooses not to, yeah. I consider that okay, yeah. even though I'm technically drinking alone. But I rarely do it because it feels weird to not do it socially. It feels weird to do it alone. Um, and it makes me question why I'm drinking. And another point I wanted to bring up is um, we've talked to several different nutritionists on the show okay. who are very opposed to alcohol um, for brain injured survivors because our brains don't handle alcohol in a great way, which, you know, for some people, I think that's probably the right path. Yeah. For me, it's not. Um, you know, me, I, I love wine. Like Troy and I's biggest passion yeah. is going around the world going to different wineries and vineyards and learning about it and buying it. Yeah. Like that's where we spend our money. So for me, it's a hobby. It's not, it's a hobby. It's not, not a problem. crutch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all, there's all those people that you could, you know, there's, there's that argument. You don't need an alcohol to have a good time. No, you don't, but it's, <laughs> you kind of do. Does help. Yeah. <laughs> It does help. Yeah. It's like that, especially if you're with someone new and you're out for the first time with them. If you don't have a drink or something to put in your hand, like, what the F do you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, what do I do with myself? I'm too nervous. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I have found that I drink a lot more water now socially because I do get that like, oh, no, you're a new person. What do I do? Because I'm a little more anxious since my brain injury yeah. as well. So I'm getting used to like drinking waters or like some restaurants will do mocktails. So it looks like you're drinking yeah, a yeah, cocktail, yeah. but you're not. And that's a lot healthier because my other thing is like I have regulation issues. So I may just like slug it all down and then be like, oh, shoot. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I've only been here 10 minutes and my drink is gone. Uh, yeah, so what I, do do I, do I, drink, I drink fast as well. <laughs> More frequently told. Yeah, I think. And I found since my injury, too, I eat faster. 
Um, like I have to remind myself, like no one's going to steal your food. Yeah. It's right here. Um, I it's, don't it's know if not I going do. anywhere. I don't know if I have the thing with eat faster, but I um I I definitely drink faster. I don't know. Um, I was going to say something. Yeah, it's just it's that regulation piece. That's okay. No, that's what I was going to say. You said you mentioned you had a thing about like anxiety and stuff like that. I um yeah I think yeah for me, weirdly, it's made me a lot more confident. Um. Ah, me too. I'm more confident, but I do have anxiety. All right, okay. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I, I've spoken about it loads of times. Like, my, um, I, like I was, I had this injury, and I was thinking, what am I going to do with my life? It was a, in my early 20s. It was a particular time when all my friends were, um, they were, you know, going on, um, starting off careers, going around the world, doing different things, um, exciting things. And I just thought, I'm just stuck in a house and doing nothing. Um, and I was just mm. depressed. And I just thought, what can I what can I do? I think like going back to uni- university wasn't an option because my my concentration was just terrible. Um, and like starting a, starting a job and working your way up didn't seem um, an option either because of fatigue. So I read something in this, um, it was in a free paper and it was a free newspaper. And it was like the 10 things people are most scared of and I think I think death was number three, and um, I think spiders were number two, and number one was public speaking. And I just thought, well, I'm not massively confident about that, but I can. It's something I could do. Um, yeah. And then so I did, I did that. The first the first one I did was um, for a charity in um, Scarborough, where I'm from. It's, it's called Headway, the charity. And um, and I um, I did that um, just, just telling my story basically in front. Of, I think about forty people were kept were there, and then I just got a book. I got you know you get the book for it, don't you? And I was just did like colleges, different um, schools, colleges. Um, I've done hospitals. Um, I've started working with the, the local fire service, and then I got um, so I was working with the local fire service. Um, where I'm from and uh, the um, they used to go to this this college and I'd, I'd done a few a few talks with them and when it came to the end I was like to the, to the guy uh, what you know is there anything I can do and he put, put me in touch with the lady in Manchester who was doing this thing called Safe Drive Stay Alive and it was, it was sort of doing the same thing basically but to a much bigger audience so um speaking to like 500 students at a time and um that's mm. remains yet the, the the biggest is that the program where you're scaring people into driving that's safe that, yeah that's that yeah <laughs> let's just tell them horror stories it's kind of like remember um fairy tales like have you ever looked at the like grim brothers fairy tales yeah, yeah. have you heard about this so, like, yeah, they made them in the Middle Ages. Um, all our traditional fairy tales are actually super dark if you go back to their um, original forms. And they were meant to scare children to sleep. Yeah. They'd be so scared they wouldn't want to get out of their beds. Like Hansel and like, And it sounds like, yes, <laughs> I'm going to eat your finger yeah. off if you if you don't listen to me. Like, it has such horrible <clears throat> roots. <laughs> That's the... Um, so it, but I guess it works. It's good how they do it because the... Um, it's in a it's in a studio. That's no, nice. It's in like a, like an arena, and um, 
and they've got like the flashing lights, all the um, the pyrotechnics and stuff, and the lights are going, this smoke and this loud music, and it's um, how awful for a brain injury survivor. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when the students are coming in, it's like loud music and it's it's, it's pumping. It's you know gets them all excited, and then so you get them all happy, and then you hit them with the um, the 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 roads the road the, the scary road stories. So it's. So how, how it works is this: like usually someone from the police, from the ambulance, the, the fire service, the hospital, and they all tell like a, a harrowing story from their career. And then um, there's me who was, I was a student when it happened to me. And then it finishes with like a, a, a usually a parent or a family member who's lost somebody who's been killed by a, a young driver. And it's it's mm. quite a powerful thing. I'm, you know, I'm really proud to be um mm. It's you get yeah. really proud to be involved with it. It's got you, you get a lot of people crying at the end. It's quite a powerful, quite a powerful day. So it's one of those things. You're kind of like a national celebrity now. I wouldn't go that like far. Everyone's seen your face. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> it's one of those things. How how can you quantify? It? How can you you know? How can you say how many lives it's saved? Because you never you don't know if some you know you, if you've got somebody who they might have you know just stopped and looked once more left and right before turning out into traffic because they've seen that because they've seen the show you can't tell right. how many people you've done that to can you but i'm sure it definitely definitely has an effect so um, and what's the driving age in england it's i think it's 17 okay so you're hitting them right up when they're first starting yeah, to drive yeah so 17 18 um, yeah some, um, and I think that's an important thing. Like I, I know I make fun of scaring people into driving correctly and I shouldn't because, no, um, you know, 17, 18 year olds are invincible. Like yes. they really feel like nothing can hurt me. So to probably hear from someone like you, who was, were you around that same age? I was 20, I was a bit older at the time. I, like, so I was, I never wanted to go to university college when I was that age. I wanted to go to Australia. So a lot, what a lot of people do is a lot of people go to college and then they go, they have like a gap year afterwards and they'll go to maybe around the world, go to Australia. And I, which your college just to clarify is 17, 18 year olds. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. But, after, but I mean, I'm saying I never wanted to go to university, which yeah. is your college. Yeah. Um, Yep. So when I was doing that age, I went traveling instead. Um, I went to Australia because that's what I, I wanted to do. The thing that you do at the end, I wanted to do that first. And then um, mm -hmm. I came back. And then I, when I was 23, I started at university, started of college. So uh, I did it backwards. I like that's a smart way to do it. Well, I mean, I, I went to university or college, whichever you want to call it, at 18. Right. So I graduated. We go to high school through 18. Yeah. Um, and then you graduate and you either go on to university or college or whatever, or you get a job. And I went as an 18 year old and listen to this for a career. <laughs> so this is how irresponsible an 18 year old is. I chose my major, which was initially athletic training because I wanted to meet the hot guys at college and be able to hook up with them. That's the smart. That was my whole life plan, yeah. right? <laughs> so, you know, 18-year-olds don't make the best decisions. And I didn't even like sports. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very short-sighted. So it kind of makes sense the way you guys do it, that you kind of get, or at least the way you did it, where you took that immature time and took time to be immature before choosing your life's path. I guess so, yeah. I made it all the way almost to my senior year of college. I made it 
um, through second semester of my junior year, my third year um, in athletic training, when I realized, first of all, I hate sports <laughs> and I have to spend my life at sports and you work 70 hours a week and get paid like pennies. Yeah, it's not good. So I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I should be a nurse. Like, why am I doing this? But that was after I met my athlete, who is now my husband. So, I mean, I guess it worked. So you got, you got the guy. <laughs> it did yeah, work. There you go. I got the guy. <laughs> it worked out in the end. Just do- <laughs> I just didn't do it probably the way you should. No. But that's okay. Everything works out for a reason. Yeah. People who do the way, life the way you should. But it's, it's a bit boring, isn't it? So the most interesting people true. never do. Right. <laughs> that's true. I like that. My identical twin brother, Luke, suffered a brain injury 10 years ago. I saw firsthand how long and difficult the road to recovery is and how little support is available. Before Luke's injury, we were both engineers at the University of Oxford and we are now committed to helping others find purpose, fulfillment and happiness enabled by technology. And we need your help. We're looking for survivors, warriors and family members for feedback and testing to help us build something amazing. And we're not selling anything. Please go to newmind.co.uk forward slash making headway. That is n-e-u-m-i-n-d dot co dot uk forward slash making headway all with no spaces. Hopefully we get to chat soon. Thank you. Hey, Making Headway listeners, Susanna here from Headache Nutritionist. I know you're already aware of the power that what you eat has on your brain health, but did you also know that when you eat is equally as powerful? Focusing on this has shifted my chronic daily headaches and episodic migraine to become almost non-existent. I am now three and a half years completely migraine-free. To find out more, Attend my free 50-minute training, Say Goodbye to Persistent Headaches at www.headacheshandled.com forward slash training. I like that. So what are you doing now? I mean, you're what, 14, 15 years out from your accident? Um, <clears throat> so I've, I live in Manchester. I live on my own. Um, i got a house with... Um, well, I, I I was I was in I was I was in Manchester for university for college, and then I was um, obviously I had the accident, and then my sort of aim in life was to get back to where I was. Um, I was in I was in back in Scarborough, which is a much smaller town, um, about fifty thousand people, whereas Manchester's over a million, um, and it's. I wanted to come back here, so um, I, I just did it. I, um, I, I was like, right, I want to come back here. But obviously, when you do that, you know, I was looking back through rose-tinted glasses. I was thinking about all the good times I used to have. But, of course, I was a student. I didn't have a brain injury. Everybody that was here then has now moved away. Um, so um, I came here, got off. I live in uh, a nice place called Didsbury. That's where I remember my sister um, used to take us for, for dinner sometimes. So we used to go there. 
Um, and I lived in like an apartment, and um, and then I moved to another apartment, which was um, behind the house that I lived in. And then I, moved, I bought a house, okay. which was about two hundred yards away from my my apartment. So I've been here ever since. Nice. And um, just through, do you know, making different connections and stuff, I um. This company, CFG Law, who have been brilliant to me, by the way, um, I um, started working for them. Um, uh, so what he wanted, Richard, the boss, what he wanted to do was start to produce um, like an online information center, not necessarily for his clients, just for just for people who have got a brain injury. It's free to, free to access. And um, so he wanted me to... They've got a few different people writing for them. Um, they've got somebody with a not. So I've got a severe brain injury. They've got people with a mild traumatic brain injury. Um, people with like spinal, you know, all basically spinal injuries. All the different, uh, um, mm. all the different injuries that they sort of represent. They've got people to represent them, and it's the idea is you go on the website and it's just like a, a library of information mm. that you can access if you've got. a think for me, um, when I What's come out of hospital... Called? What's that website called? What was that, sorry? What's the website called? The, the website is it's CFG Law, um, Charlie Foxtrot okay. Golf Law, L-A-W, um, and it's just for that. And it's... Um, I think particularly when I came out of hospital, when it was like 2007, 2008, I was... Um, I mean, the internet was very... You know, social media and stuff was very much in its infancy then, and um, I was like trying to Google things to find out pe people with this condition that I've been told that I had. I'd never heard of a brain injury, and I suppose you Google things, and you you find what what you'll tend to find is people with like the extreme examples of what what you've got. Mm -hmm. So you get like people with really mm -hmm. serious mm -hmm. brain injuries. And, um, you know, who were in a really bad way. But, you know, that didn't really speak to me. I didn't, I wanted something. Um... And it, yeah, it almost makes you feel like an imposter, yeah. at least for me. Because I'm like, yeah, I can walk and talk and bathe myself. And yeah. I can live independently. And and then you go online and you see these people that are so much more debilitated. And it makes you feel like, well, I guess I shouldn't feel bad. But yet you still feel bad because you have a brain injury. <clears throat> I, yeah, I went to, um, something I started doing was I went to another university um, I used to go across there and help out there, and so that their students were they were like going to become you know nurses or in the industry nurses doctors, they were um, occupational therapists. I think it was for occupational therapy. Um, do you have that there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in it now. So, uh, yeah. Students wanting to learn occupational therapy, and the idea was there was like different people with different dis different types of disabilities. Um, and they were like interviewing them, um, so they would they'd all come in there. So I'd, I went to this they went to this university. Um, I walked in this room with all these like disabled people. You know, they were in like electric wheelchairs, and they were like you know in crutches. They were really struggling to walk in wheelchairs. And um, I just the week before I just run a marathon, my first marathon, and I saw so just I was still in Amazing. training from that, and I just thought. I felt like a massive imposter because I was probably fitter than the majority of the students there as well. But it's just that's the thing about mm. brain injury, isn't it? You don't you don't look like you're injured. 
you look like you're fine. Right. Right. And that, that can be, that can be good and can be, be bad. You can hide behind it or it can make it so that other people assume more out of you than you're able to give. But I mean, like you won't, I think honesty is just such a big point of all of this. Like we just have to be honest with others about who we are and what we're capable of because we're capable of a lot, but we might have to do it a little differently. Yeah. They've started doing this thing now. It's in, um, they started doing it in one of the supermarkets and uh, it's, it's like a lanyard um, with, it's like a sunflower lanyard, you know, around the thing around your neck. Um, yep. Yep. And if you're wearing one of them, then you've got like, it's signaling to the staff in various places, you know, you can wear it in, in airports, supermarkets, wherever. It's signaling to the people there that work there that you've got like a hidden disability and that you might need extra assistance. So it's like a, Oh. It's like um like a like a way of saying that you've got a, a hidden disability without having to say it, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, what a great yeah, idea. I, I know I've been thinking about like jewelry or something. Like could I make like a bracelet or some sort of alert? Yeah. But you can't really see a bracelet on people in the grocery store. No. A lanyard's kind of a great idea. Yeah, it's just like a like, that... a like a sunflower um Yeah, sunflower That's lanyard. An excellent That's idea. what it is. So that's something that's that nice. reason. So it sounds like you've been able to do a lot with your brain injury. You've kind of incorporated that into your career and your livelihood at this I point. I suppose, like, you know, you come to the point, like, you, you're going through this, you, you just, you're exhausted. You're having to go to bed two or three times in the day. And you're just thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And then um, it was, mm-hmm. I, I think it was a three-year mark because, you read, I read somewhere in um, in a textbook or whatever, you can read somewhere that you, your brain, after an injury, your brain heals for maybe two or maybe three years. And then after that, it's it's the techniques that you, you start to use um, to help yourself, you know, to overcome your disabilities. And um, I got to the, I think I was thinking that one day I was just going to be totally better. And I was still thinking that right up to like the last night of the three years, it was the 14th of May in um, what it would have been 2010 and um, it when I woke up in the morning I wasn't miraculously better I went into a bit of a depression uh, and then I sort of told myself to get you know get a grip and um, I started going for a run every night uh, just a little like a mild circuit and um, I used to do that every night and I was just I just felt so much better and um, mm. I, it's I can't even remember what point I was making now, but it's... Um, it, it... Well, the point I'm hearing you say is that you've really been able to use your brain injury. Yeah. Even though you're not 100% better, you've been able to use it to be that better. That was it, yeah. And then I started um, I started doing different runs for charities. And I think, I think like, I thought I'd do it like 10K, which is like a six, 10 kilometers, which is like six mm-hmm. miles or something. And um, I... That's my favorite length that's of run. A, yeah, that's that's ten k. Yeah, ten k is like it's a little more than like a five k. I can kind of always do. Right. But a six k or six k, a ten k is just enough where I have to try a little bit about, in training. Yeah, it's about so I can't an hour. just slack off. Yeah, it's perfect. It's like the perfect amount of time. Right. But it's not so much like a half marathon and a marathon. You're really committing like large chunks of your life to yeah. that, and I just don't have time for it. I've do you know what? I've never followed a proper and a specific um, training plan. I've just kind of my, my my no my um 
you're one of those that can just go out and no, run it? No, I'm not. I'm oh, okay, good. But what I've done, I've, just, I've never, I've never like tracked my miles or anything like that. But what I've done is I've just gone, I've, I've run a lot before a mile, before a race, and um, mm. I tend to run every every Hopefully other night. But uh, so I started doing okay. I don't then ten k's the half marathon. I've done the half marathon like six times, I think. I've done um. I did one marathon, one yeah, one marathon. Um, it was in York, and then um, so I was signed up for the Manchester Marathon the next year, 2020, and obviously it was mm. um, it what happened? happened. <laughs> didn't happen, yeah. did it? <laughs> so I thought I'd collected like 800 pound in sponsorship, and I thought right, I'm gonna oh wow, I'm gonna do it, and I, I had like a GPS watch, and I just ran 26.2 miles on my own. So, <laughs> So I do kind of hate you for being able to say, yeah, I, I just did it. I just, just kind of well, went I did, I did, did I've done a lot of training for I that. I hate you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you trained for it. As long as you had the no, training there. I definitely there. trained for it. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm the one that has to have, like, I have to have a training program or else I don't stick with right. it. Where it's like, okay, day one, you run a mile sprint and then you walk and then you, you know, and you build up the whole time. In fact. If I don't have that, I'm kind of lost that probably would be good for me because i I work very well of like somebody tells me what to do then uh, yeah i have to check the box yeah i'm not very good at organizing myself i'm terrible at organizing myself but that's what i do i just i just run quite a lot yeah that's awesome i hope to get back to that i actually just started physical therapy because i find right now every time i do high intensity exercise i get a headache that starts in my neck and shoots into my head Which, when I had my bleed, that's what happened. I had a headache that started in my right. neck and shot and into think, my head. Oh no, it's happening so, again. Exactly. So I'm like scared of it. Um, so now I'm doing PT so that they can teach me exactly what's safe, what's not safe. And I swear I'm going to be running again and I'm going to lose the extra pounds I put on during brain injury. So how long are you out from your injury? Um, uh, mine was May 11th, 2020. So not long at all. What's that? Like a year and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty soon. We started this podcast when I was only a little less than six months out. Um, and it was selfish. I mean, starting making headway podcasts was selfish to help find things to make me feel better. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mariah didn't do it to help make me feel better. She was doing it to help make her feel better too. Um, but we've met so many people and learned so much that it's kind of a cool way to, figure out what to do after your those, head isn't working the way it's supposed to. One of those things that it's like, like not a mistake, but it's like a, it just happens. It's kind of, yeah. And it's just kind of like what you've done, like using your injury to kind of build your career. And I mean, now you're able to make content that is highly relevant to people going through it and to help teach, you know, younger kids like, Hey, you are not invincible. If you drink a ton of drinks and you wander out into a crosswalk and get hit by a car, it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> They're not going to go well for um, you. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's what I was going to so say. I love... Obviously, like, in America, they have much bigger cars than they do here. So it was only... It was a small car that hit me, a Ford Fiesta, it's called. And um, I often... Oh, jo- we have those. My sister has it. Oh, does she? She has a Ford Fiesta, and it's named Fifi. Yep. <laughs> Fifi the Fiesta. <laughs> but um, it's... I often think that, you know, I often say that I wish I'd smashed something better up, a more expensive car. But if it had been a more expensive <laughs> car, then it, the chances are it would have been a much tougher car and I wouldn't have come out of it as well. So It would have smashed you up. Mm. 
Yeah. So Brooke, we're kind of nearing the end of our conversation as much as I don't want it to be, but I know for our listeners, we can't go much over an hour. People uh, <laughs> kind of drop like flies. Well, that went fast. Um, so I, yeah, I know, I'm right? Flies, we're at 55 minutes already. Yeah, me too. So um, can you tell our listeners, um, how could they find you? What ways could they connect with you? And your podcast too. Let's plug that. So you can find my podcast, the one, the, so the, I've done actually two. Um, one, um, so the one I'm doing at the moment is called Brain Injury Bites. And that's, you can find that on Spotify and on Apple. Is that B-Y-T-E-S, Bites? No, B-I-T-E-S. B-I-T-E-S. Yeah. Okay. okay, so that's on Spotify and Apple. Yeah. Um, there's another one that's okay. on Spotify and Apple was a series that we did with three friends. Um, yeah, four of us. Uh, we did in lockdown, actually, um, over, over Zoom. Uh, that was um, Life With No Filter. That was another one. I listened to you guys. Really? I didn't know you were on that. Yeah. Was that – was um. Bassett is that her last name um Kavita Kavita Bassett was she on it yeah she was on that too right Uh, yeah 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 I was oh I didn't know I was listening to your podcast Uh (laughs) brain injury (laughs) did I tell you I have a brain injury small Uh, it's a small uh, small world the brain injury world isn't it Um, yeah it is I've got a Facebook page called brain brain injury brook um I've got a Instagram page called Brain Injury Brooke. Um, Twitter, I don't really use Twitter, but um, that's called Brain Injury Brooke as well. So Brain Injury Brooke. Yeah, we have a Twitter too, but I've never, I don't even have a Twitter Uh, account, but yeah, (laughs) Making Headway does. So I have no idea what's on there. So if you're following us on Twitter, I'm sorry. I think I've got about 50 followers, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I've never even looked at it. I'm just like, okay, we have one. Um, so yeah, for all our listeners, I'll have all those links in our show notes. Um, so please do check out Brooke. Um, he's a pretty cool guy. He's done a lot and I feel at home being able to talk to you because, um, my family's in your same area. You have almost the same accent as they do. So it's kind of amazing. Yeah. You'll have to give me a call next time you're over. I will, if I can ever get out of the United States. Yeah, No, no Stella. I want a nice wine. <laughs> okay, we can do that. Stella gives me, just thinking of the word Stella gives me like an instant headache. <laughs> it was the worst hangover. And we had to take a train the next day. We went up to Edinburgh and it was like a three hour train ride. Oh, so just the, with the worst headache ever in those stupid, hot, nasty bathrooms. Oh, <laughs> I know exactly worst. what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Yes, it was awful. Um, But yeah, so on this happy note, I will definitely look you up the next time I'm coming over. And this is Aaron signing out for Making Headway Podcast. See you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Making Headway Podcast is just a side project that I love. It's given me a lot of community along with giving you guys community as well. And I really thank you for supporting me. If you'd like to do something extra... We would really appreciate it. There's a few ways you could help us out. Rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. Share us with friends, family, or anyone that you think might want to listen. Also, clicking on the links in our show notes for Amazon gives us just a small kickback, just enough to help pay those bills. If you wanted to do something more, which we would really appreciate, you can donate at www.makingheadwaypodcast.com. 
Lastly, we have a Patreon account as well. That's found at www.patreon.com slash making headway podcast. Anything you can do to support us really helps us out. Thank you so much. We really love you listeners. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.